Lord, I'm reminded again, and, and we thank you that in you we live and we move and we have our being. And so we rest ourselves now in your presence. We thank you that you are here, that you're working, that you're speaking, you're comforting and strengthening. Lord, that you are the sovereign king of the universe. And so we sit at your feet, we wait in your presence, and we rejoice in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'll get that. We uh, did a series in May. I called it Scent. It was an amazing series. We're going to start an incredible new series. I'm calling it Still Scent. <clears throat> I didn't think we had enough scentness. I think we're still scent. So we're just going to keep going. Um, I want to start reading uh, this morning from uh, a guy named Oswald Chambers. Anybody familiar with My Utmost for His Highest? Um, this will mess you up real good. If you understand anything that he says, let me know. I'd be really interested to hear, to know myself. Um, this was given to me uh, by a friend in 1994. We were missionaries in Istanbul, and there was a guy there that was a spiritual father, a mentor to me. And uh, right before we left Turkey, he gave this to me, and he said, basically, you know, these, these are words that have impacted me year after year. He was 70 at the time, throughout my life, and I want you to have this. And so um, I uh, picked this up when I have courage and um, read it, (laughs) because sometimes it really gets you. And this morning, it got me. So if it got me, it's going to get you. The scripture is from John 13, 17. Oswald Chambers writes in, I don't know, roughly early 1900s. He says this, If you do not cut the moorings, God will have to break them by a storm and send you out. Want me to stop? Launch all on God. Go out on the great swelling tide of his purpose, and you will get your eyes open. If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all your time in the smooth waters just inside the harbor bar, full of delight, but always moored. You have to get out through the harbor bar into the great deeps of God and begin to know for yourself, begin to have spiritual discernment. When you know you should do a thing and do it, immediately you know more. Revise where you have become stodgy spiritually. You get the little British stuff coming in. And you will find it goes back to a point where there was something you knew you should do, but you did not do it because there seemed no immediate call to. And now you have no perception, no discernment. At a time of crisis, you're spiritually distracted instead of spiritually self-possessed. It is a dangerous thing to refuse to go on knowing. The counterfeit of obedience is a state of mind in which you work up occasions to sacrifice yourself. And ardor, you know, strength, ardor is mistaken for discernment. It is easier to sacrifice yourself than to fulfill your spiritual destiny. I cried over that one this morning. It's a great deal better to fulfill the purpose of God in your life by discerning his will than to perform great acts of self-sacrifice. As the scripture says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Beware of harking back to what you were once when God wants you to be something you have never been. 
And that's why we still read Oswald Chambers a century or two later. Because he gets to the point that we're called of God to be out in the world for the sake of God. We're called by God not to just look pretty in the harbor, but to actually run the deep waters of the world. We're called out into the depths. We're called uh, past just an understanding of Jesus to an experience of Jesus. You can imagine the disciples saying, I really believe Jesus, if he wanted to, he could still the waters. He could still the storm. He could raise the dead. It's a lot different when the disciples launch out and say, hey, Jesus, we have a storm. We have a dead person. We have a demonized person. So uh, I want to just continue our series in sentness, and I want to begin to put some hands and feet to what it looks like to be sent into the world. John 20, 21, we've read this verse for months now. Um, we've been sent by Jesus into the world. John 5:19. let's start there. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus made the statement, having been sent into the world by God, basically, I don't do just what I think I should. I only do what I see the Father doing. When the Father speaks, I act. When I see the Father moving, I follow him. When, when the Father invites me in, I say yes. And then Jesus says to his disciples, <clears throat> Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So the Father's working out in the world and the Son is working out in the world. And Jesus has said to us, just the same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you out into the world and I've given you a mission. And I want to talk about uh, part of that mission this morning from Ezekiel 34. Who's having their quiet times in Ezekiel these days? Probably you're not spending a lot of time in the first 30 chapters or so because I think the word woe is used about 8,000 times. You know, that's not, that's not a summary devotional verse. The context of Ezekiel 34, it's primarily a word of judgment to the leaders of Israel. So we're roughly 6th century BC. Much of Israel has been exiled to Babylonia. In other words, they've, they've been sent out into a place. In, uh, in a sense, they're being disciplined by God. They've been sent, except their sentness is into a place of discipline because of disobedience. And the prophet Ezekiel gets the not-so-fun task of declaring God's word to these people. Specifically in Ezekiel 34, he's speaking to the shepherds of Israel, which we can't just uh, translate into New Testament terms and say, this is the pastors, though we, we get it too. He's speaking to the leaders of Israel. He's speaking to the ones who knew the Lord and were called of God to lead the people of Israel in the promises of God, in the presence of God, for the purposes of God. That's Ezekiel's job. And it's pretty ugly for the first 30 or so chapters. Ezekiel 34, he finally turns to a happy note, but he's got to retract and go get a little, uh, get a little uh, mean at first. This is the scripture. <clears throat> this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. <clears throat> you're not a pastor. You may not even be a leader, but you're a follower of Jesus. And, and this is a word of God for all of us. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. 
but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. He's spoken this pronouncement against the people of Israel, the leaders, the ones who know God, and said, you know what? You haven't really done what I called you to. Now here's the good news. You ready for the good news, right? The good news is God says, you know what? You didn't do what I called you to, but I'm going to do it. In the same way that we couldn't follow God and, so, and we couldn't live in obedience, and so God had to say, you know what? I'm going to show you obedience. That's why he sent Jesus. You can't do it for yourself. I'm going to do it for you. And the Son of God comes and walks in perfect obedience and sacrifice on our behalf. Well, it's the same with the mission of God here. God speaking, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. I will seek the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the broken and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. My very first sermon in seminary, my very first homiletics class, I had a very cheap suit on, standing in front of 16 people, and they were videotaping me, and I had to give my first sermon to this class, you know, of my peers, and it was from Ezekiel chapter 34. Thankfully for you, this is not that sermon. But this is a, this passage has always gripped me, because it, it juxtaposes the call of the church with what God himself will do. And you know how I love tension, right? I always talk about tension. There's this tension of we're called to do it, and God says, but you can't, so I will. And the beauty of the gospel is we collaborate in it. So the the beauty of Ezekiel 34 is that we get to do with God what we cannot do by ourselves. We get to seek the lost. We get to bring back the strays. We get to bind up the broken. We get to strengthen the weak. Luke 4.18, Jesus essentially gives a a counter image to this. He gives a New Testament um, uh, speech essentially on the same dynamic of Ezekiel 34. So this is Jesus announcing his mission in the temple. Quoting from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so I took these verses this week, smashed them together, and I got a holy potpourri of our mission in the world. So this is what we're called to do. This is what the Father is always doing. Jesus is only doing what he sees the Father doing. The Father was doing this 2,500 years ago. The Father was doing this through Jesus The Father is doing it through us now. This is the mission of the church in the world. Seek the lost. That means good news to the poor. Lost people don't know. They need good news. Bring back the strays. We'll talk about the the prison of being stray from God. Bind up the broken. Physically, spiritually, emotionally broken. We proclaim sight to the blind. Wholeness to the unhealthy. 
strength to the wounded. And we strengthen the weak. We set free the oppressed. This, I just, I mean, I could spend a lot of time, as I clearly already am, just expressing to you how central these activities are to the kingdom of God. And I, I want you to, to listen specifically this morning because I'm going to call you to these tasks. You get to go out into the world. I, you don't have to do all four this week, all right? But I'm going to ask you to take one of these on. God's going to speak to you in the next 15 or 20 minutes. And he's going to give you a sense of calling, whether it's the lost, the stray, the broken, or the weak. Because this is what Jesus is doing. And he's doing it through us. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The mission of God, the mission that we've been given, that we continue in the power of the Holy Spirit, is to, is to search for the lost. It's to seek the lost. There are people out there that belong to the flock of God and they don't know it. Do you realize there are people out there in the world that God intends to be here in the church, whether it's our church or any of the wonderful, amazing churches in the city of Indianapolis. And they're lost. And you know what? Most of them don't even know it. Many of the people that we work with and we live with and we live by and we interact with and we transact business and we joke with every single day are lost. They're meant to be in the flock of God. They're children that God is calling and they don't even realize there is a thing such as foundness. You know what I mean? How many of you when you were lost, <clears throat> when you were lost, <coughs> <coughs> How many of you, when you were lost, I mean, before your moment of conversion, woke up every morning and say, I am happily lost? No, you didn't. You probably had some sense of you knew where you were headed. Now, it, it probably wasn't working out for you that well. Maybe for a time it was. There are lost people out in the world, and we need not be afraid of the lost because God is seeking them. He's after them. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit is like a lost-seeking missile. I mean, he's just searching for these people who have their names already written in the book of life. Remember Psalm 139? Every day ordained for us has already been written in God's book before one of them came to pass. So there are people right now who don't know the name of Jesus who will be sitting next to you in heaven. That's pretty cool, Right? How, is, how are they going to be found? Just put your hand up. Go ahead. You got the answer. <laughs> Good answer. They are going to be found through us. We carry on the mission of Jesus to seek and to save those who are lost. They're not going to find Jesus on their own. They don't even know what they're looking for. How many people do you talk to I mean, if God gives you those openings, you talk to people out in the world, and they, if they'll really get honest with you, they'll tell you, you know what, I'm looking for something, and I don't even know what it is. I know that the alcohol isn't bringing it. I know that the sex isn't bringing it. I know that the money isn't bringing it. I know that the fun and the toys and the entertainment and the frivolous part of life isn't making it. I know that my discipline isn't isn't attaining it. 
they're lost. And Jesus is out there seeking the lost. And we get to be a part of that. That's what God's been doing all these years, and he's still doing it. Who's lost around you? I don't think it'll be really hard to figure it out. (laughs) There are people with one of these on their head. Okay? This does not mean loser. This L stands for yet to be found by Jesus. I don't know how that works alphabetically. The Savior is seeking people and he's doing it through you. So we seek the lost. That means we get to preach good news to the poor, the people who don't have the good news and they're all over the place. We get to give it to them. It's so simple. Jesus did it for you. Bringing back the strays, a part of our mission into the world. Matthew eighteen twelve. Yeah, Jesus speaking here, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The context of Matthew 18:12, he's just been talking about children. He's just been saying, hey, be careful when you're dealing with children. These, are, these people are precious in my sight. Don't lead them astray. Make sure you care for them. The other side of Matthew 18, 12 is dealing with people who are struggling with sin. So he's got the children. Let's call them the ignorant, the unwise, the not yet trained. And then we've got the sinners, the foolish people. And right in the middle there, Jesus gives this parable and says, listen, here's the heart of the father. If he's got a hundred sheep and one wanders away, he'll leave the 99 who are safe and secure and doing what they need to do and he'll go after the stray one. Every single one of us knows the strays. Some of us are here this morning and we recognize we are the strays. (laughs) And we're just wandering back. You know, you're sitting here this morning but you're just peeking over the fence of the flock, right? Like, I am really not sure... I want to come back into this whole family of God business. There are strays out there. These people are those who have been drawn out of the church by the enemy. They've been driven out of the church by the religious. Or they've been scared out of the church by who knows what. And they're all over the place. You want a really, if you've been in this church for say five years, you want a really frightening uh, thing to do. Sorry, I'm a little grim today. I'm just trying to give it to you where it counts. Get a directory. Just read through the church directory. Now, many of those people moved away. Many of those people were called away. Some of them are strays. Some of them, and I, you know, praying about this this week, I was flooded in my mind with strays. Just flooded. Can you think of some of them now? Some of the people who used to sit next to you? So many people, I wonder where they went. And we make the assumption that I'm sure everything's fine. Let me just say, that is not a good assumption. There are people that have been driven out or run out or scared out or drawn out by the enemy. And you know what happens to a stray? They're on their own. You ever see those terrible documentaries of African wildlife footage, you know? You see this robust herd of antelope and then you see this little antelope, you know? struggling behind with half of three legs, you know, and then the lion comes. 
And it gets ugly, right? It's a strain. They're out there. So um, I'm connecting bringing back the strays with freedom to the prisoners. Do you know why? What keeps people away from the church once they've gone? I, I would suggest that the number one thing is shame. They've gone out and done something they shouldn't do and they can't bear to walk back in. Or I've heard it, I can't tell you how many times, but I've been gone so long. I would feel so awkward if I came back in. People would ask me questions. Where have you been? What have you been doing? What am I going to say? I've been out sending my life away. (laughs) Shame keeps people away. I see it all the time. You know, I, I get to be the pastor guy, and I live out there in the world where everybody lives, right? So I see the strays in their normal context and environment. And I can see it come on them. They see me and they go, oh no. I am really not that evil a person, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're purposely running from me. But for some reason, with my little pastor gig, I represent God to them. And they've run from God. And when I show up, they feel the shame of having run away from God. And they're strays. And shame is a prison. How many have been there? Shame is a prison. And the key to the prison of shame is grace. And we have it. We have the key that unlocks the prison of shame for every stray out there in the world. Grace. We get to tell every person who's run away from Jesus, I don't care where they go to church. I don't ask people, why haven't you been in our church recently? You know what I ask them when I see them? Hey, are you fellowshipping with people? Have you found a body of... Christians that you're able to give to and receive from, because that's what I really care about. Have you found a part of the flock or not? Who cares which flock they're in as long as they're under the guidance of the great shepherd, right? And we have the key to the prison of shame. It's called grace. And everywhere we go, we get to dole it out. People who are walled up by what they've done or what they've thought or where they are or their current life situation... And we get to say, you know what? It is so good to see you. How can I help you? How can I be with you? Hey, come to church. Hey, I'll go to church with you. You don't want to go to church? What would you like to do Sunday morning? I'll sit in Einstein's with you. You know that's legal? You can skip church to be the church. That was really good. Someone write that one down and quote it back to me. That was really good. Anytime you want. Next, next week, there'll be no one here. <laughs> but worship will be happening at Einstein's. Bring back the strays. And some of you, God's, God's given you, you can see them. I see a couple right now. Just close your eyes. That's them. That's them. You get to do it. You have the key of grace. I release you as shepherds of the flock. Go back. Go, go get the strays. Go get them. We bind up the broken. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called his disciples and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority. You can open your eyes. (laughs) Some of you are so obedient. Maybe you're praying for them. Go back. Jesus gave his disciples authority to heal the sick. And, And we're his disciples. Therefore, we have the authority to heal the sick. We get to speak healing to the sick. Do we see it every time? No. Do we see it sometimes? Yes. 
Does God want to do it more than we presently see it? Yes. Does God want us to ask for more healing than we presently ask for? Yes. In the end, all will be healed. We get to see some of it happen right here on earth. Jesus goes on. He says, as you go, as you go, people of God, as you go out there in the world, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the sepers. Sepers. (laughs) I have no joke. Cleanse the lepers. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. We're sent out into the world. Everything we have has been given to us. And everything that we have, we get to give away. Did you hear Dave? I think Dave said in both uh, sermons, in both um, messages last week, first and second service, you only get to keep what you give away. Like, I still don't really understand that, but I'm pretty sure it's true. There's something that's miraculously invigorating and life-giving about giving away the eternal. It, it becomes eternal as we give it away. We get what we give away. It's been given to us freely. We give it out. And then God gives us more and more and more. And you see, this, this is what it's supposed to look like out in the world through every single one of us. We get to bind up the broken physically, emotionally, spiritual, spiritually. These are people that are hampered by difficulty. So I put this next to the, uh, the um, where did I put this? The blind? Proclaim, help me somebody. Sight to the blind. People that are hampered in some way. There are people in our body and outside of our body and they're hampered in their senses. They can't see truth. And we get to give them truth. With love. Not truth like this. Wham! Truth like this. Get up. Let me tell you what's true about you. There are people who can't hear out there. Physically and spiritually. People who can't hear. You're loved. You're cared for. There's a wound. They haven't heard from a figure in their life. You're valuable. And, and so they can't hear that from anyone. And we're the people of God with the words of God to speak. You are loved. You are the beloved of God. Those wounds only get healed with truth. And we've got to be near people to express the truth of God to them. There are some who can't touch I mean, they're hampered in the sense of touch. You know what I mean by that? They're in, uh, emotionally, they don't know what intimacy could be like. And so they go after false intimacy. I think we know what that looks like in the world. And they don't know what to do to find intimacy. And you know what we get to do as the people of God? We get to draw close to them rather than run away from them. Please take this in the right way. But we get to draw close to the perverts. We, just, we get to draw close to the dirty. We get to draw close to the disgusting out there who have never been hugged and loved and touched. I mean, Jesus, you know what Jesus did before he healed the lepers? He hugged the lepers. Bill Johnson says, you know, in the Old Testament, what happens when a leper came in, in contact with a healthy person? The healthy person got leprosy. What happened to a leper when Jesus touched him? The leper gets healed. We're on the mission of Jesus. So whatever leprosy is out there in our world or in your world, I'm giving you the freedom within boundaries of propriety and wisdom and with other people in the, in the, in the, in the body of Christ to hug and love and care for the lepers. 
We've got to be with them. We have the words to speak. We have love and acceptance to give. We have support and encouragement to share with the broken out there. We who can see by faith can humbly show the blind the way of faith. And you know what I say to blind people spiritually? I don't say, I will heal you so you can see as good as me. I say, you know what? I can't see so well myself. (laughs) But there is a Savior who leads the blind by paths that they do not know. His name is Jesus. That's uh, Isaiah 49. So I said, I, don't really, I can say, I don't really know how to see, but you know what? I can show you to Jesus and he'll lead us both. And we don't have to be afraid anymore. We're called to seek the lost. We're called to bring back the strays. We're called to bind up the broken. And we're called to strengthen the weak. Luke 22 Satan is asked to sift all of you. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> Jesus says this to Peter right before Peter blows it royally. Jesus is not surprised by Peter's denial and screw up. Jesus has the foresight to say, when you come back, from your broken, lost, strayed state, strengthen your brothers. So if you have ever been lost, or if you have ever been stray, or you have ever been broken, and Jesus found you, and brought you back, and brought you healing, then guess what? You're in the party of strengtheners. You get to give out strength to the weak. Hebrews 12, the writer of the Hebrews says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. He's speaking corporately here to the body of Christ. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Interesting, I think, weak people don't need to be healed. Weak people need to be strengthened. Sometimes we see weak people and we just see, we say weakness equals defect. I will ask God to heal you. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says the weak are to be strengthened. And how are the weak strengthened? By doing impossible tasks with somebody else. The weak are strengthened the same way that we get strong. We've got to do something that's past our abilities. We have to try something that's impossible to do. That's how you get stronger in, in, in weight training, by doing the one you can't do is what the one that makes you stronger. And so some of us are called right now, we're called by God to stand up and look for weak people and stop calling them failures and wounded and stop praying for things to be healed and stand with them and say, let's go do something. Let's go out into the world together and find the lost. Let's go out and bring back some strays. But I feel so weak. Yes, you do. That's why I'm with you. This is discipleship. I think maybe it's time for us to stop praying for people who are weak to be healed and start praying for them to be strengthened and exhort them. How many of you needed someone to come along sometime and you're saying, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, and here are all the reasons why I can't. I'm broken, I'm lost, and I'm wounded. And someone finally said, yeah, right, I know you're all that stuff. Now do it anyway. And we stood up and we found the strength of Jesus Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we walk out into the world and we see God use us. There's nothing that strengthens people like seeing God use them in their weakness.
Let's pray. The communion servers, if you could come forward, we'll prepare for communion. God, we recognize this morning you've called us to continue your mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Grant us faith this morning, courage to take steps to seek the lost, to bring back the strays, to bind up the broken, and to strengthen the weak. And Jesus, now we come to you for all that's required to do that by taking once again your body and your blood, the strength of God given to us to fulfill the mission of God given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.